I think that's a poignant reminder for, well, certainly is a reminder for all of us, and it's a poignant uh, comfort for uh, many of us uh, because of recent loss of loved ones and, or the memory of. And we have a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going we're gonna to conclude there, and we're going to talk about it in getting there. This will be not your typical expository uh, message. The next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, knowing the gospel, believing the gospel, living the gospel, and, and telling the gospel, showing it. Um, the next two weeks will lead us up to our mission conference, the last Sunday uh, of October, which will be Reformation Sunday, uh, a good time to reflect upon the missional work and dynamic of the church and our, our ministry together. Um, the word gospel is one of those terms that uh, is easily misused, misunderstood. Uh, it's perhaps partly that, that phrase, gospel truth, uh, has perhaps allowed it to be something used uh, in many different dynamics and conventions. Even preachers, when we talk about preachers who preach the gospel, we often think about they, they just preach the whole counsel of God's word. And we hope that they do, uh, hope that we do, but the gospel is more nuanced than even that. But here's a list of some books uh, in recent years uh, related to the gospel. The Gospel of Technology. Uh, the Gospel of Business. The Bible's marketing plan can work for you too. Wow. The Gospel of Beauty. All right. There's the Green Gospel. All kinds of Gospels, really. Uh, what, what is this? What is the Gospel? What's it about? Uh, by extension, it, it's just like... It's the definitive, absolute statement about whatever it is. Um, but what is the gospel? There are many gospels, and Paul is concerned for the church. He states it in two places, the 2 Corinthians and the Galatians. Concerned that the church has departed the gospel and run after another gospel, a different gospel. Not that there really is another gospel. But what do we mean by gospel? And we want to talk about this in, in, in several different ways. And I have to apologize at the start. I had a note sheet, a full eight and a half by 11 sheet. Had a graphic on it and everything and most of the notes. And it's on my computer um, because I'm so inconsistent in giving you sermon notes and so forth, I, I forgot that I did that, spent the time to do it. So, shame on me. Um, if you want to wait, you know, 15 minutes after the service, I could run and print them, and then we can hand them out, but I don't know. There's, there's a fair amount to share. What, what is the word itself? What are the terms? Gospel. Gospel itself comes... As we know, it comes from an old English word, uh, good spell. I know it looks like God, but there's that, that long elongation over the O, and it really is good spell or good story. That's old English. Go to the old UK, you know, um, old 1611, and you'll find this 
contrived word, put together. Um, the old French is the word evangel or evangile. Um, and that comes, so we, we see the root there is evangelistic, evangelism, evangelical. Right? That basically means we're gospel people. If you're an evangelical, if you're doing evangelism, you're telling people the gospel. If you're evangelistic, you're about the gospel. It's an old French word. So we got English, French, but the French more directly you can see is based on Latin and then the New Testament Greek. New Testament Greek has the, the U in front, E-U, U, euangelium. There's a double G or double gamma. And when there's a double gamma, it has a ng sound. So euangelium, euangelium. And uh, do you, you can maybe see the u at the beginning, and that's, that's a prefix that means good. We use it in eulogy, a good word, or eugenics, a good birth. Uh, euphoric, good carry, good bearing, good health. Right? So the word you at the beginning means good. And then angelos. Does that sound you know, like something else in English? Angelos. Angel. Angel. A good angel. No, a good message. The word, the word angel, angelos, simply is the word message. Or if it's a, if it's a being, a messenger. It's a good message. And this good message is good news that is pronounced. In fact, in the New Testament, one of the first pronouncements comes from an angel, a messenger of God bringing the message of good news. Luke chapter 2, verses should be actually 1, uh, verse 11 through 11? No, 10, 10 through 11. Let's do that. 10 through 11. The angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now there's a good element of the history of the gospel right there, but you see the word good news. It's our word gospel. Good news. A great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's, that's really key. That's poignant. That's important. So the gospel is really is the good news, well, here about Jesus. The message. Now, that's the ter those are the terms that we might be familiar with or unfamiliar with. But we also, we also have um, the Old Testament that, that brings good news. And there's some ways that the good news is brought. And the predominant way in the Old Testament that you get good news is by a runner. Kind of fun that we sang running into the name of the Lord, right? Run. Runners. And the runners would bring good news, and most of the time, it had to do with military victories, military campaigns, the defeat of an enemy. And 2 Samuel 18 is a, a wonderful whole section uh, related to runners going to tell uh, King David that the enemy has been defeated. Now there's a little bad news mixed in, and that is his son Absalom has also been killed along with the enemy. And the generals are concerned that David's going to be overwhelmed with the bad news. And so he sends a particular runner uh, with, the, with the news and the bad news. But there's this other guy who's a good integrity 
fella and he wants to he wants to tell David the good part of the story and he runs and he gets actually ahead of the guy with the bad news and he tells the good news to to David he says and he proclaims the good news and here's his desire uh, to pronounce this he says let me run and proclaim the good news to the king that the Lord Yahweh has judged to save him from the hand of his enemies now this translation LSB is the legacy standard Bible it's a newer uh, rendition uh, of the new American standard and they've put the word for the Lord Yahweh his name his covenant name in there but they also are are more precise when it talks about the good news and in many of our other translations you won't you won't clearly see that aspect of good news here it is proclaim the good news victory now it can also be a, a the announcement of a birth uh, Jeremiah talks about this and he, he talks about the the one who would bring news to his dad that a son was born Jeremiah 2015 cursed uh, he says to the father saying a baby boy has been born to you and made him very glad a baby boy has been born good news so good news in a general sense can be any kind of good news but again the majority of the Old Testament is about this victory the king has won the battle and and that's where we get more of a worship aspect of this proclaiming the good news we read of this already in Psalm 96 but um, here we have God who defeats his enemies and that's good news when God triumphs over his enemies we read Psalm 96 here's Psalm 68 the Lord gives the word and the women proclaim the good news are a great host the kings of armies retreat the, the Lord wins the battle the Lord goes forth and he defeats his enemies and the women proclaim the good news they, they, they announce the victories uh, before King David and his entrance back into the city and uh, that'll be a, a image and concept we'll come to next week when we talk about proclaiming the good news about being those who proclaim it tell it show it this good news of Jesus Christ we are the bride of Christ and as the bride of Christ we proclaim the good news of the king who's coming back in victory all right well th these are the terms and these are the types that are also the literary genre of the gospel right the literary genre Matthew Mark Luke John we can keep on going Acts Romans sing the books of the Bible Matthew Mark Luke and John we call them the the four Gospels the the Gospels of Matthew the Gospel of Mark the Gospel of Luke the Gospel of John these are narrative accounts of the person and work of Jesus two of them begin with his birth narrative and end with his commission uh, to the disciples they tell the historical events surrounding the coming of Jesus his person his work his nature and uh, in fact Mark chapter 1 actually clearly identifies himself as a gospel the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God this is his literary aspect in John when he closes out his account of the gospel in chapter 20 verse 30 he says Jesus did a lot of other signs but these have been written 
that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you would have life in his name. This is the purpose of the gospel, to know Jesus and to come to a conviction about who he is and what he has done. But finally, our real subject is the gospel. What is the gospel that we talk about, that we must believe? We get a good summary in the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. And as Jake read these opening verses, I'll just remind us of them. Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I proclaimed as good news to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word which I proclaim to you as good news. Again, this is the Legacy Standard Version. It, it, it highlights the proclamation of good news. It highlights our word euangelion or euangelizo, the, the verb form, telling the good news, being evangelistic, the gospel, the word of Christ. This is what it's about. It's the message of who Jesus is. It's the announcement of his coming, what he has accomplished in his life and ministry for the good of the believer and for the glory of his Father. So you have the objective realities, right? It's about Jesus. But there's the subjective realities for me and for the Father. There are blessings that are inherent in this good news for the one who receives it, the one who believes it. Now you see the little scribbling on the bottom of our slide and these, these are a way of demonstrating five crucial aspects of this good news, the gospel, the arrow coming down. Jesus came. Jesus was the eternal Son of God become human to live a life of perfect obedience. He is God. The eternal Son of God. He has always been the Son, always will be the Son. It's a relationship and it's a position of, of rulership, of kingship. And He has come. We will, in a few weeks, celebrate the the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ, the incarnation as God becomes man by the work of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. The eternal Son of God became human to live in perfect obedience. Yes, He came to die for sin. We're getting a little ahead. But He came to live the human life that we cannot, for all we in Adam, sons of Adam, die, don't we? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's, that's like hard proof evidence of the reality of sin, isn't it? Well, th this first movement, the second movement is the cross. Yes, Jesus died on the cross as a perfect atoning sacrifice in the place of sinners. What a marvelous song, wasn't it? About the mercy of the Lord 
his robes for mine? I mean, filled with all kinds of theological terms, I suppose we, we could explain, right? Propitiation, vicarious. That means he's in our place. Christ died in the place of sinners. A perfect atoning sacrifice. He, had, he lived that life of perfect righteousness and thus qualified to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. He died on the cross. But he didn't stay there. The third day Jesus rose from the grave in victory over death. Here we begin to see from our vantage point the victory chant. The proclamation of victory. The enemy is destroyed. Defeated. The last and greatest enemy, death, is gone in Christ. Now there's still the wrap-up and the clean-up and we get the, the two other arrows that are yet coming. But the enemy is defeated. And we grieve when we see and experience that, but we do not grieve as those without hope. Because Christ has conquered. And this is good news. He's conquered sin and its effect of death. He rose from the grave the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, victory over death. And from there, He ascended to heaven, back to His place of glory. We studied the book of Hebrews and, and walked our way through the, the, the tremendous pageantry of Christ's sacrifice as a, a great high priest and, and as the Lamb of God Himself who took away the sin of the world. But having accomplished all that the Father had given Him to do in this first coming, he, he ascended back to heaven in all of His glory, seated at the right hand of the Father. And He didn't leave us as orphans, didn't leave us alone. He, he sent the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead. He sent the Holy Spirit that Christ may dwell within us. That the Holy Spirit would bring us to life in Christ. And Christ reside within us. But Christ will indeed come again at the end of this age. And we cry out, Lord, come quickly. Jesus will come again. He'll come to judge the world with righteousness and He will dwell with His people for all eternity. He's coming. And while He came in great humility, in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger and riding a donkey into Jerusalem as a king of peace, just before His death, He will come this second time on a white charger, a war horse to judge the nations. We recited Psalm 96 and it says, Proclaim the good news of God's coming. He will judge the nations. Now, for us that's good news. For all who are in Christ, that's good news. But it's also a warning. He's coming to judge the nations. And when He has completed that and taken care of the wicked, the ungodly, he will create this new heaven and new earth and dwell with His people for all eternity. God with us forever and ever. 
These are the basic movements of the gospel. Now I've filled in other details, haven't I? But these are the basic movements and there are some presuppositions, aren't there? The good news implies that there was bad news. And it might be that as we're talking about the good news with people, we, we do need to introduce them to the concept of bad news, of sin and death, the reason why death is. I mean, you've got great proof and evidence of sin, don't you? With any person, any human being you talk to, there's an experience or an encounter with death. And it's a way of talking about the bad news, the reality of sin. But then we get to this, this good news the, about Jesus, the Son of God who came in the flesh and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins in a way that we couldn't do. Went to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit that we might have life in Christ. The beginning of eternal life now. And He's in this process of making us more and more pleasurable unto the Father. And Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead and dwell with his people. Now, I had fun um, exploring the New Testament with the, the term gospel. And I put in uh, a formula in the Bible software, the gospel of. The gospel of salvation, or for example. There, 25 times, 25 times in the New Testament is the gospel of something. The gospel of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, the gospel of grace, the gospel of peace, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of the kingdom, and any variation and combination of those things. And I'm thinking, my goodness, this is a lot richer than I really anticipated. And understand that the gospel is multifaceted. Paul, Peter talks about it as being a multifaceted or a variegated grace of God. There's so many ways to look at it, kaleidoscopic in its nature. Not that there are different gospels presented in the New Testament. One gospel that we've just outlined, but so many implications for life, applications to Christian living. But where could we go, and there's this idea we could find the gospel in one verse, but if, if these movements of the good news of Jesus, when we synthesize uh, those occurrences of it in the New Testament, it, it's hard to find it in just one place. Now, some of you have, have memorized what's known as the Roman road as you think about sharing this good news story with people around in your life. And you hop skip around different places within Romans and come up with five or six or ten verses uh, of the Roman road from that letter. But let me point you to just a couple, few passages that more than others, I think, delineate most of this gospel story. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. And the first chapter of Romans, verses 1 to 6 and then verses 16 to 17, the power of the gospel for salvation. 
But I think the most entailed presentation of the gospel is where we began. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I am going to read significant portions. Verses 1 to 4, verses 20 to 28, and verses 49 to 57. I'm going to read thoughtfully. And I want you to, to think through the, the narrative of the gospel that we've just walked through and how it's supported here in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 1. I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I delivered to you of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's a, that's a Christian way of talking about those who have died in Christ. Because they'll be raised again. For as many as by a man death, for as by one man death came, by one man has come also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, including death. This is the good news. This is the victory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord of life. The scripture goes on to say, when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is expected accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, that is the Father, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all for our good and God's glory. Okay, verse 49. Just as we have been born as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. 
And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that, that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've had a hard couple of years. Yeah, that was a quick amen for that one. We've had a hard couple of years in many different ways. And we've lost brothers and sisters, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. The victory is in Jesus Christ who has raised the first fruits from the dead. And we will see our loved ones. We will see our brothers and our sisters in Christ again. And one day Jesus will come. And, and Paul says the day will come. We won't know when or expect it. And not all of us will die. Some of us will be caught up right then and there and meet the Lord in the air and be with Him forever. This is good news. Is it your story? Is this the story that you know? Is this the story that you've been told you have now? But is this the story that you've come to believe? And not just know in your head but to know in your heart to embrace it as your story belonging to Christ yes you, you need to, to know the gospel but you must believe the gospel now there's a, a wonderful book entitled God is the gospel and I full-heartedly concur with the thesis. But it is a rather simplistic title. And it takes a whole book to unpack it and define what it's meant by it. Caution. The gospel is not simply, do you believe in God? And that's not what the book is about, by the way. But here's the caution. It's far too easy and simplistic of us to say, do you believe in God? I believe in God. Oh, no! The gospel is specifically about God in Christ and what Christ has done and accomplished. And you need to embrace that. Here is Paul in Romans as he, he talks about making it yours. Romans 10, 9 and following. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, made right with God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, as he's quoting the Old Testament, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, between Israeli and Hamas. The same Lord is Lord of all, 
bestowing his riches on all who will call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, call on the name of the Lord. This is the message that the world needs today. The wars, the chaos, the conflict is because of sin. And the wages of sin is death. And sin can't help but work itself out in destruction, division. It's the work of the devil, the prince of darkness, the prince of death. And we pray for peace. We work for peace. But that is simply a facade, a covering until Jesus comes and absolutely makes it right. We can't do that. No matter what your view of end times, no matter how you, you understand the flow of the Scriptures in the meta-narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, only Jesus can make it right. No political powers, no theological systems, Jesus must come and establish His rule and reign of righteousness. And only He will make it right. But till then, brothers and sisters, we have this message of His coming. And we are to tell people of the victory that is in Jesus Christ. That they might have life eternal, the forgiveness of sins now. And live totally different as Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile, Scandinavian and Dutch. Oh, that was a rough one, huh? The cross has broken down the walls of partition that have separated us, that divide us. The gospel is practical. It has practical implications for those dynamics. And in Christ, God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. All that we need. There are all kinds of false gospels. And we mentioned some just really strange ones. But within our own, our own thinking, it can be Jesus plus something. Or Jesus, so what? If he died for it, then it doesn't matter what I do or how I live. Either one, legalism or license. You do not understand the gospel. You do not understand the victory of God through Christ and the radical cost, infinite cost, for you to be saved. Now if you comprehend it just a bit of what that infinite cost of, of God's grace is for you, You'd live for Him. What is it to believe? I think the next one is our, our truth applied, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> believe the gospel. As I said before, it's not enough to simply hear about it. You do need to hear the truth of Christ. And you need to hear the truth of Christ. But once you've received and heard that, you need to confess that it's true. Yeah, that's true. Sure. There was a historical guy named Jesus. He claimed to be the Christ. 
Nancy and I last night watched, uh, I can say what we watched, right? Yeah. <laughs> now I have to, yeah. <laughs> Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, the TV series from the, was it the early 90s? Kind of miniseries thing. And it's Young Indiana Jones, like 12-ish. And it's, the, it's just into the 1900s. And, and what a dynamic historical time period in which to live. All kinds of thinkers, inventors, and artists going on at the turn of that century. And of course, young Indy gets to meet every single one of them. And I just, I had to clinch the arms of the chair because they were, they were in uh, an eastern country, uh, well, India to be exact, and talking about all the world's religions, all talk about the same God, all compassionate. elements of truth. But dear ones, you can hear all kinds of messages, including this message about Jesus. And you could even agree that, yeah, they, they, they all have an element of truth. They must all be true. And still not believe. James cautions the church. He says, you say you have faith. Well, even, even the demons believe. Whoa. But not in a saving sense. They, they know Jesus is real. They agree that Jesus is real. They've been struck by him. They've been cast out by him. They know he's real. They know what he's going to come back and do to them. But they will not trust him. How about you? Will you trust Jesus? That was, that's what it is to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth. To entrust your life, your being, your whole, your future to Jesus. Because He is God come in the flesh to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death to be raised from the dead in victory and triumph to ascend to the right hand of the Father in vindication well done my son to give us the Holy Spirit to work life in us unto salvation and wait his return do you trust your life to that narrative to that story believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father in heaven, this is the basics of who we are. This, this is what unites us and brings us together. As we look around our assembly, Father, we recognize there's not a lot that I probably have in common with many of the others in this room.
Of course, the longer that we've lived life together, the more we share. But the fundamental thing that I share with these brothers and sisters is this good news of Jesus Christ. It is fundamental, it is essential to our community. This is community to our church. It is essential to our reason for being. This gospel is essential to the, the purpose of our mission to make disciples. But Father, this wonderful treasure we have hidden perhaps been ashamed of we have disavowed oh perhaps not in word but in deed this wonderful truth we have misunderstood so Lord may we relish in this good news of Jesus in his victory over sin, his victory over death, and his reconciliation work to restore us into a right relationship with you. For we are saved from your, your judgment that is to come. And now God, would you work in us by that Holy Spirit, the life to believe, to entrust ourselves to this gospel truth and would you impel us to go to see a world that is aching and hurting because of sin and to share this message of Christ's coming to deal with it and make everything right and that they too can entrust their lives to him. God help us to that end as we behold this wondrous mystery of the gospel. Amen.